Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show and our latest cheeky midweek review. After Arsenal completed their training exercise against the Blues, Erling Haaland's (laughs) goal scoring record made the news. Jude Bellingham's transfer status is generating plenty of hearsay, as is the new manager of Leeds, Sam Aladice. Meanwhile, Messi is suspended, Napoli's title win was slightly upended, and LAFC's CCL run was extended. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, the president of the Sam Allardyce fan club, Taylor Pintowine Rockwell. (laughs) I'm just so glad he's back. Pint of wine in hand, saying inflammatory things, but in a very severe and stern way that made me suddenly realize, like, oh, no, he just fully believes this and also knows exactly what he's doing. Big Sam back in the Premier League. It's a good week, boys. It's a good week. It is indeed. Listen up to pull back the curtain before we recorded. Uh, Taylor was so excited about Anadice uh, coming back to the Premier League. He was banging the table with joy. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just awesome. And, you know, like, it's just so funny to see him know exactly how to do this. I fully expect him to keep leads up. Even if he doesn't, it's sort of he's just going to take the payday and be fine with it and walk away with it out it being really his fault. But he played, I think, the media, myself very much included, like a fiddle. I think he is going to get the best out of this team and know exactly how to get the core group to respond. I said this before we started recording as well and was met with sort of stunned. Don't say it, Taylor. You don't have to you say it right now. You don't, don't have it. to say it. I, he would have been a better hire than Frank Lampard at Chelsea. There we go. I think Big All Sam right. would have done the job at Chelsea better than Frank Lampard. Okay, we're less than a minute into this thing and we're going already. Wonderful stuff. Can't wait to get going more on that subject. (laughs) Joining us to do so, a man who's back from the tattoo store after getting cheeky midweeky etched on his chest. Joe Lowry, you going to keep the SRAM wrap on your chest for a day or two longer to let that thing settle nicely? So the pick I sent must not have been clear. It was on my back, Richarlison style. So it's cheeky midweeky in the style of the Brazilian Legends tattoo. I get yeah. I'll get you a new picture after. Yeah. I've decided. I know I was hesitant about cheeky midweeky last week. I'm all aboard now. It grew on me yeah. over the course of that episode. Throughout you know the the title of our Google Doc and in our Slack, I'm just in. I'm all about it now. Let's cheeky midweeky the crap out of this cheeky midweeky. Ryan, did you not get the first set of photos because you forget that Joe actually has beefy keefy across his chest and then it's cheeky <laughs> midweeky on the back. Yeah, it's a That's full it. sort of thing that's happening. I get so many. Photos of Joe's tattoos that I uh, I get confused. It's hard to keep track. It's like like an hourly occurrence at this point. They do get lost in the Slack channel for sure. I'm sympathetic to that. Either way, Joe, your dedication to the brand is noted and appreciated. Cheeky Midweeky <laughs> rules. Joining us, of course, on this show, a man who sees no joy at all in PSG fans turning on Messi and Neymar, Graham Ruthven. So sad. So sad to see what's happening there. So oh, sad. indeed. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, I was following this through the prism of Argentinian Twitter over the last couple of days. They oh, mad. Oh they mad. Yeah. Uh, not just PSG, the city of Paris in general. I saw one tweet that said, this is why Paris is one of the underrated, sorry, overrated um, capitals of Europe. They, with every protest, the city crumbles, including this one. Wow. <laughs> okay, Argentina. Wow. That's, that's up there with uh, the Ted Lasso line from this week. Uh, the the Eiffel Tower is just a lamppost with good marketing or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can think of uh, one more overrated European city. <sighs> so it's quite close to where I am. No, not that one. Anyway, let's go to the... the uh, we've got plenty to talk about in this show, of course. Sam Allardyce coming up, some messy talk, some Jude Bellingham talk coming up as well, of course, and plenty of games to talk about. Why don't we start with the Premier League title race, which took another couple of twists and turns, kind of, this cheeky midweeky. On Tuesday evening, we had Arsenal drinking Chelsea's milkshake, Taylor. <laughs> a 3-1 win uh, for Arsenal. Odegaard on the double here. Uh, Chelsea... 
but on the NBC coverage, Taylor, I don't know if you watched like the halftime and stuff. They were, it was like, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed kind of tone. They were basically saying Chelsea have never been this bad. And they were suggesting that a Premier League team has never been as bad as Chelsea were in that first half in terms of the effort, in terms of nobody wanting the ball, nobody making any runs, no one bothering to cover at the back. It was a mess. Yeah. I mean, the last time I remember Chelsea being in a similar spiral was the second Mourinho stint when I think they were 13th when Mourinho was let go. And then things turn around and it's not a great season, but it's not a horrific season. I saw some Chelsea speculation, uh, some Chelsea Reddit speculation, maybe three match days ago at this point, that if it weren't for the kind of relative incompetence around them, there's an argument that Chelsea might be in a relegation battle. And I laughed at that thinking, that's ridiculous. This is overblown. You all are going to be fine. And then three more losses. They have not yet hit the 40-point level, which is usually where a team is safe. I'm not saying they're in a relegation battle, but it does sort of show you how bad things are that I listened to Football Weekly today, and they were speculating, will Chelsea win another game this season? Which I, I think they will. I think they should. But at this point, it does also feel like the I'm not mad, I'm disappointed is where most Chelsea fans are at best. And at worst, it's sort of I don't even care anymore. They've done all they can to me this season. We'll see what happens next year. Hopefully we're still in the Premier League. They're 200 to 1 to get relegated, which are obviously long odds, but to be five games out from the end of the season and for bookmakers to still be offering odds on Chelsea to be relegated is quite remarkable. I actually checked the Premier League table during this match to double check that Chelsea can't be relegated. And as, as you say, Taylor, the thing that seems to be keep, keeping them from that discussion is the fact that all the teams at the bottom are very bad at the moment. And so they're probably not going to make it to 39 points. But I cannot recall a big six club having as bad a season as this. This is kind of unprecedented in the Premier League era. We have seen, as you mentioned, Chelsea under Mourinho, they drop into the bottom half, but then they recover. We've seen teams at certain points of seasons, be in the bottom half or mid-table, but they always tend to bounce back a little bit. Chelsea are going to finish in the bottom half of the Premier League table, and that is not something... Even with my scepticism of Todd Bowley at the start of the season, things not going well for Graham Potter, I just did not predict that at all. Mm. Feels like the 90s again, Graham, which makes me happy in a way, Chelsea (laughs) doing that kind of thing. How much damage, though... Joe, how much damage has, has Frank Lampard done to himself and his, to his reputation here? Uh, ten losses in a row as a manager now. Uh, not, not that his, his credit was particularly high, but this felt like a free hit when he took this job because of the, the, the stakes weren't that high at the point of the season. But it seems like he's not he's hitting himself. himself up for another <laughs> yeah, job yeah, next that's season, what is it he? Is. Girl, that's Stop exactly hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> it, it really did feel like a, like a, a win-win situation of either, you know, you get the job and you don't do so well and it's fine because Chelsea were bad before you got there or you get the job and you do well and Chelsea sort of creep up the table and you position yourself for a better job somewhere around the world after, you know, mostly being unsuccessful in the Premier League so far. Yeah, I, Frank Lampard has opened an unexpected third door that folks didn't know existed, which was be so bad that you enter door number three and you come out of this looking worse and the club comes out of this looking worse. It's it's ridiculous. Like it is it is an example. And Taylor, this is why I sort of hit at your idea of of uh, Sam Allardyce being the right man for Chelsea, which I'm not sure that he would do worse than Lampard, which is a, a fair point to make. But the, the problem for Chelsea right now, and, and Lampard is in some ways being negatively affected by this. I'm sure there are things that he's done wrong as well. We're not inside this locker room. But man, they just have no plan. Like they have no idea what they're doing. And you can apply the, a lot of those same concepts to Leeds United, who have gone through multiple managers this season, have no idea what they're doing. They don't know what they want. They don't have really like clear ideas of how the club should be structured, who should be making the decisions. Now I'm, I'm talking more specifically about Chelsea. Like wh- what even is, what is this team? They don't have any sort of identity. And at this point in the Premier League era, if you want to outkick your coverage, and by that I basically mean if you want to compete with City and in five years Newcastle, you have to do a Liverpool. Like You have to be something more than you are. You have to find some way to extract some margins that will better position you to be fortunate, right? And Chelsea have done the exact opposite of that. They've spent money, sure, which is which is good for them, and they should continue to spend money if they want to compete. But they've done it in just such an absurd way that it's it's all ridiculous, and Frank Lampard yeah. uh, is, is coming out of it looking very, very silly. 
Joe, there's this very old movie from before the turn of the century called Speed. Uh, and in that mm. movie, the premise is that a bus cannot stop. And in that movie, they come upon a, a stretch of unfinished highway in Los Angeles that feels far-fetched. Uh, that is sort of what Chelsea remind me of. Even when they do have a plan, even when you can see what they're trying to do, and on the rare occasion that it works, it really quickly dead ends or runs into the highway that isn't finished being built. And then it all sort of relies on individual performers to try to make something happen. And and again, I think that speaks to Frank Lampard having an idea somewhat, but not really being able to get the players on board and not really being able to change the mood of the club. I keep thinking of the the Donald Glover meme from Community when he walks in and the apartment's on fire and everything has gone to chaos. That's what it feels like every Chelsea manager has been met with this season is just chaos and negativity around the club. And it doesn't seem like Frank Lampard has been able to turn that around at all. I do think he's hurt his stock a bit. You can see the way he gets discussed. I think no one wants to say this is on him. He's made this happen. At the same time, if he did even an okay job, I think he's just not discussed. It's not remembered at all. We move on from here. But he is sort of coming under uh, fire, getting some criticism for the complete lack of results. And in that way, I don't know what his next gig will be, but I don't think it's going to be anything near the Premier League. Having said that, I'm sure he's going to get the Leicester City (laughs) gig at the end of the season somehow. The speed thing is the only possible excuse for Todd Bowley, where if he stops spending money in the transfer market, this bus is going to blow up. That's the only <laughs> way that I would excuse him for this season. That's speed yeah. three. That's the premise of speed three. Chelsea season ending very much like Dennis Hopper's character's uh, situation ended in that movie at the moment. Uh, by the way, Joe, yeah. speed, uh, if you're not aware, it's the precursor to speed to colon cruise control, which uh-huh. is a modern classic. Of course, you'll remember that one. Right, right. I'm just still surprised that they had movies in the 1800s, but all right, yeah, this is all. Turn of the century stuff. Oh, that was spicy. Oh, like it. Very nice. Uh, okay, so Arsenal uh, uh, were atop the Premier League on Tuesday. Uh, Manchester City very much took that mantle on on Wednesday, excuse me, with a 3 0 win over West Ham. Erling Haaland with his 35th Premier League goal of the season, a new record for the league, a lovely chip finish to achieve it as well. He got a nice little guard of honour from his teammates there. Um, 51 goals in all competitions, Graham, 12 behind Dixie Dean, the all time English record holder. Uh, the scary thing, Graham, is that Haaland has done this in 31 games. Andy Cole and Alan Shearer had 34 goals, the previous record, in 40 and 42 games, respectively, back when the Premier League had more teams in it. So uh, he's going to score 50 more goals this season and smash it even harder. Utterly, utterly ridiculous. He, he scored a goal every 21 touches in the Premier League this season. He scored more league goals than se- this season than Southampton, Everton, Forest, Wolves and Chelsea. Chelsea. He scored more Premier League goals than Chelsea this season. I'm not sure that, that there's, there's, there's ever been a goal scorer like him in the Premier League. Obviously, everyone compares him to Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo in the Premier League was a very different player to the Ronaldo that eventually emerged at Real Madrid. So I don't really think we've seen a player like this before. And and the scariest thing for me, Ryan, is that throughout Guardiola's career, there's this track record of new signings getting better in their second season. I mean, Jack Grealish has been an example of this this season. How can Erling Haaland possibly score more goals? I mean, people talk about Pep making the Premier League uncompetitive or City making it uncompetitive with the resources. I think Haaland is doing that on his own, to be honest. Indeed. So... Taylor, Man City, top of the league, 79 points, one point above Arsenal, having played one fewer game. Five games to go for Man City. Still in the uh, catbird seat, as we call it around here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only way I think, like, can Holland be a deputy goalkeeper? Could he be another left back? He can play multiple positions at once. That's the only way he could maybe uh, improve upon this season. It is an incredible first campaign from him, and I think it's also a testament to Pep Guardiola showing his ability to adapt. We've talked about that plenty of times this season, but that it went from sort of like City look worse with Holland playing well, City look good, but Holland isn't really involved, to suddenly City look great and Holland looks unplayable and Pep Guardiola looks happy, which yeah. is an odd thing for Pep Guardiola, it, to the point where he's even willing to say that, yeah, Sam Allardyce is better than him. I'm glad that we have confirmation <laughs> on that. It's it's just crazy to me how quickly this evolution has happened because yeah. like we, we pinpointed this earlier in the year Yes, City look good and fun, but the results weren't really there. Taylor, you just walked through the progression really, really well. You know, we sort of blink, and it's been a few months with the World Cup in the middle with Erling Haaland just waiting around, wandering around right. the training ground by himself for a month. And and now all of a sudden, it's there. And, and uh, Man City, excuse me, are going to win the title. They might win the treble. 
and they're going to come in next year stronger than any other team probably in the world. It's it's absurd stuff. The fact that Holland can, can come into this group, still score the exact same kinds of goals that he scored at Dortmund, the exact same kinds of goals that he scored at Salzburg. It's that run from sort of the, the right side of center over to the left. In this case, it's Jack Grealish, but it's been De Bruyne a bunch this year. It's been Bernardo Silva. They play the ball such that Holland can receive. They sort of crisscross, so Holland goes over to the left, and he hits the ball almost facing the like the left corner flag. Like, his body isn't fully oriented towards the goal, and he just hits it with his left foot every single time. He scored that goal a bajillion times at this point in his career. He's still doing the same stuff at City, and City are still doing, at this point, their same scary stuff. And it, it just makes one big, giant, scary meat pie combo thing. <laughs> I'm in There's favor. No scary pies. That was for you, Graham. <laughs> yeah. That was for you, Graham. Th- thank you very much. Yeah, I-, I would like one of those scary meat pies um, that you're cooking up, Joe. In terms of this match um, specifically, I kind of thought the scoreline flattered City a bit because West Ham were right in this for the majority of the match. So they were set up in this back five and they were closing off the space that City liked to play in and they were blocking off the centre of the pitch and forcing City to go out wide and City were then playing crosses into the middle and West Ham were pretty comfortable with that and we didn't really see much of Haaland in the first half in particular and at half time there was frustration from City which was something they haven't they hadn't felt for a while and Guardiola was even asking the crowd for more and waving his arms at them and there was a bit of genuine tension but in the second half that first goal the Nathan Ake header just kind of opens things up obviously West Ham have to come out and play their own game a little bit more and then that just afforded City more space and we all know what Haaland does with that space and also Julian Alvarez and in any other season Julian Alvarez is a major storyline around Man City's season he has a more conventional pep um, centre forward but he's shown he can kind of play in behind Haaland and he drifts out wide as well and he's very technical he's got good physical attributes an eye for a goal so Haaland is getting all the headlines, as you would expect, scoring 35 Premier League goals in one season. But Alvarez has also improved this team a lot. Indeed. Before we go to break, one more Premier League game to uh, turn our attention to. Liverpool won Fulham nil, most of lot with a penalty to settle that one. Liverpool, Graham, four points off fourth place. Uh, they've played more games than those above them, though. Um, Lurgan Klopp very much writing off the Champions League hopes now. Is he? Did he do that in his press he conference? He, he said, said it's it not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So what's the difference? Did you run that th- run through there? What? How many points? I don't have the Premier League table in front of me. Here we go. Uh, Liverpool are, in fifth with fifty nine yeah. points, four points behind Man United, and they played two more games than Man United. Yeah, he doesn't think that. <laughs> he still thinks there's a slim chance. So they've yep. won five wins, uh, five games in a row, and they are making, in my eyes anyway, they're making a late charge for for that top four place. This was actually a pretty uncomfortable night for them at times. Allison had to make a couple of good saves from Vinicius. Um, Harry Harry Wilson threatened a couple times, and Fulham were probably the the better team in the second half. So. It wasn't a wholly convincing performance by Liverpool, particularly because their midfield was was very open at times. But they did just enough. I thought Alexander-Arnold was excellent. Once again, he had 110 touches of, of the ball. Not sure how much that tells us really, but it shows us that he was certainly involved in that central midfield position that he's now playing. Luis Diaz was very, very good. But Salah scores the winner from the penalty spot. He's, he's putting up some serious numbers this season. The last time that Salah failed to score in a game at Anfield was back in January. And he's now got... Um, 99 goals in all competitions at Anfield as a Liverpool player so it's funny that a lot of people have argued Salah hasn't been at his best this season and and I don't necessarily disagree with that but he has 29 goals in all competitions for Liverpool this season which just kind of underlines how inherently productive he is for that team. Graham uh, you have it in the notes but I'm going to steal it. Uh, I was I guess surprised to see Andy Robertson drop for this game and simultaneously not surprised to see him drop yeah, because going back to the Spurs game, I don't think we talked about this. We talked about plenty from uh, the Liverpool-Tottenham game this weekend, uh, but Andy Robertson's performance w- was, was to use one of your words, dire. Uh, he gives the ball away multiple times, kind of completely needlessly. Like He's not under pressure. Yeah. It's just sloppy touches, sloppy passes, sloppy giveaways. Uh, he keeps Tottenham on side for the second goal, I believe. He gives the ball away in the lead-up to the first goal. Like he, he, That was about as bad as he has looked, and he's had a few of those moments this season. I'm going to chalk that up to fatigue and not much more than that. I think Manchester United have played like 53 games so far this season. I'm guessing Liverpool have been around that number as well. So I'm going to guess that's just... Uh, a very long season and a lot of games sort of coming to a conclusion. But still, Andy Robertson sitting out in this one, maybe that's just a reminder yeah. that he is not always going to be in that lineup if he plays like that. 
So I'm kind of working on a theory with Andy Robertson at the moment. I kind of think that it's down to more than fatigue, to be honest. I think mm. it's linked to what Klopp is doing with Alexander-Arnold. To be honest, I agree. I was worried that you would maybe come through the screen if I criticized <laughs> the Scottish players. So, if it okay. was Kieran Tierney, I'd be through the, through the screen by now. But Andy <laughs> Robertson, I don't know. He's not, he's not always been my favorite player or, or, or person, frankly. But yeah, those uh, I think those struggles are linked to what Alexander-Arnold is doing in that central position. And, I, and I've mentioned a couple times that on the possession side of the ball, on the attacking side of the ball, the T, the, the the Alexander Arnold thing is working quite well, but the safety net in behind him isn't quite there yet. It's not quite right, and I think Robertson is really struggling with taking the ball in central areas. So he's pretty predictable when trying to progress it, and he's receiving it in those central areas, and that's probably why Simicas comes in to to this team and, and and starts this match. But even when Robertson comes on, he was caught flat-footed a couple times where he where Fulham were pressing high. He either turns back to the goalkeeper, which puts Alisson under pressure or he kind of just sends an aimless ball out wide or he, he loses it as he did against uh, Spurs at the weekend there and then out of possession as you kind of referenced there Taylor he against uh, the Spurs at the weekend you were talking about he seems uncertain of whether he should be staying central when he's when he's defending and defending space he doesn't know whether he should be staying central or whether he should be staying wide and I think if you look on the other side Kanate is having a much easier job, certainly on the defensive side, but even in possession as well. He is doing a lot to cover in behind Alexander Arnold, and you could see that in his touch match from his from this match. I think it was James Nalton on Twitter tweeted that out, and you can very clearly see that safety net that I'm talking about on the right side. And Kanate seems to be handling that much better than Robertson, who I think kind of has some stuff to figure out. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, we're going to take a break because Taylor needs to calm down because after the break. It's Allardyce time. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Guess what time it is? Sam Allardyce discussion time. Sam Allardyce back in the Premier League, hands rubbing glee, coming from the microphones right now. Uh, back at Leeds <laughs> for four more games. Allardyce, and I quote, no one is ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not <laughs> Klopp, not Correct. Arteta. Correct. I'm as good as them. <laughs> He's Taylor, so his, back. His, his first game uh, back is uh, Man City away. Yep, took the training for, yeah. with Leeds for the first time on Wednesday. So he's had a good, what, three or four days with the team before Man City away. He's got Newcastle and West Ham, two of, his, two of his former clubs coming up as well. I've got to say, Taylor, I really want, leads to get a result at Man City this weekend. But if they do, I also think we should stop TSS and just maybe because like <laughs> anything that we talk about in soccer doesn't make sense after that point if Sam Allardyce gets a win at Man City this weekend. I don't know. I, I like to think that Pep Guardiola was so amused by those comments that he's just like, you know what, guys, we're taking the weekend off. <laughs> Let's give him the three points. <laughs> um, I thought that press conference was the reason why you bring in Sam Allardyce. He had... Everyone there, by all accounts, including people who wrote about it, being like, yep, we played right into it. We were eating out of his hand. Uh, everybody loved it. He gave us quotes. And here, here's the, uh, the poll quote that I had from an athletic write-up of that one. Uh, when he said that quote that you mentioned, Ryan, he said, there, I've given you a headline. He jokes, and not by accident. At a stroke, Allardyce, on a par with Pep, gives the rest of the club, uh, players, board members, a day off from appearing in the headlines. And that's true, that in those comments, he's immediately made it about him. He's yeah. taken the pressure off of the team, the pressure off of the staff. And then at the same time, I think the reporting was that he was then having individual meetings with every squad member to talk about where they were feeling confident, where they weren't feeling confident with an eye towards putting together a team that will play with a back four, play 
solid, smart, tactical football. He seems to very much resent the idea that he doesn't know how to tactic. He out-tactic Jose, after all. Uh, so I, I think it was a sign what? of what, what he's going to do. tactical football? Is that something that <laughs> no he's referring to? Graham. Literally no one <laughs> no. knows. He just, I think he resents the idea that he's a dinosaur who's just four four two, kick it long, and it's all about vibes and energy, yeah. even though it does seem to be strongly about vibes and but- energy with Sam Allardyce. But the thing is, right, so obviously that press conference is ridiculous and, and, and his general demeanour is ridiculous. But the context here is he's got four games. That's his mission. So I don't know. I don't really know if he's going to have a chance to put in place, quote unquote, his tactical football, yeah. right, whatever that stands for. So the whole that that sort of thing, we're as good as anyone, pro, that, that whole demeanour, that whole message, that sentiment, that probably doesn't work over a full season if that's all you've got. But if your whole mission is a job over four games it's about getting that boost so yeah it's it's silly but he doesn't really have much else he doesn't have another tool to to keep leads up at this point that's the whole game for him yeah and and i think that's where i think he might have been a better hire at chelsea than frank lampard because it does seem like what he is going to do is try to turn a toxic locker room or at the very least a negative locker room into something approximating positivity. And I think he's going to try to instill belief and maybe do some tactics along the way. But for the most part, it seems like he's going to try to set them up in a way that is uh, so easy to digest that you can just get the best out of the players and you can focus them on, I guess, accentuating their individual abilities. The thing that I thought was so interesting about that press conference as well is that when you hear that quote, it feels like you would have expected it to be like, yeah, I'm better than Pep. I'm better than like you would have expected it to be this cocky, charming, tongue in cheek. He knows what he's doing. And he sounds like he is delivering a eulogy the way he speaks in that press conference. It's very deliberate and it's very serious. And I know what I look like. I know that I'm old, but people think I, like he's I don't think he's he's being sincere in his estimations or in his frustrations. But I think he is doing a very good job of setting the stage and putting the spotlight on him. And part of that is because I think he likes the spotlight on him. He, he wanted to be a Premier League manager again. He had made himself available when Leeds sacked Jesse Marsh and they weren't interested then. Um, but I do think part of it is also that he's trying to take the spotlight off of the club and just be a person who can do that. And I think if you're somebody like Weston McKinney, who seems to be very down, very negative in his headspace, not playing the football that we know he can and not bringing the energy and enthusiasm we know he can, to have somebody who can take the spotlight off of you and then come to you and say, like, what do you need? What's going wrong? What can I do to make you a better player? I'm going to guess that hasn't really been a thing that a lot of that lead squad have gotten this season. And I, I, I don't know if he will keep them up. As I said in the beginning, I think it's a really smart... Uh, job to take for him because if they go down well it was only four games what was he because supposed to do it was never his fault <laughs> but if he gives him up it's what two and a half three million pounds uh, as the bonus and then he's a genius and he said himself that if he keeps them up it will be like the crown jewel in his uh footballing career so i think it's just a fascinating story with four uh, games to go about 100% a team that we undefeated record with England as well, Taylor. Let's, let's have that as well, shall yeah. we? And a 15% win record on his last job where he was relegated from the Premier League I, as West Brom manager. I, I have a question. Pandemic. I have a question for you, Taylor. Pandemic, boys. Pandemic. Your, yeah. your perspective is fascinating, and I... I agree with parts of it, and, and I, I just I, like I, I knew Joe was going to go off. I, like, I, could, I could sense him winding up. And, and the thing is, none of this is Sam Allardyce's fault, right? Can, I, can we all I, agree, Joe? I really want to hear what you have to say. I just have to. Add, I've talked about this before. My wife uses interesting when she yeah, doesn't that's like what's a happening thing. Here. Joe's saying fascinating. Now I know. Now I know. Your perspective is fascinating. Is the uh, yeah. bless your heart? Yeah, like yeah. This yeah. Oh, bless your I'm heart. I'm going to rip you to shreds. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, so I love that Sam Allardyce comes in and says this absurd stuff, right? And and there are figures in the soccer world that just sort of hold court no matter where they go. I think of Bruce Arena as being one of those managers where it's like, this guy just has has it. Like, he has the charisma. They have the ability to get people eating out of their hand. And so I'm, I'm all about that. I'm also all about Allardyce coming in and making it about him. Because if I'm a player, I'm I'm kind of down for that. Our schedule, if, if I'm a Leeds United player, sucks, we have Man City, we have Tottenham, we have Newcastle, yeah. and we have West Ham. Not in that Woo. order, but Man-, Man City's first. Like, odds are, given where they are on the table on 30 points, level with uh, level with at least one team below them as I pulled the table Forest. frantically. Yeah, they're level with Forest, one point above Everton. Even with that slight advantage, one point, and, and on goal difference for Everton and Forest, respectively, they're still the favorites to get relegated because of how difficult their schedule is. So all I have to say, I like that Allardyce is coming in and being like this flamboyant almost, but even not in how he delivers stuff, but... 
like what he says, I think is fascinating. The part that I, w- I was confused about what you said, Taylor, is mm-hmm. uh, you're talking about bringing positivity to the locker room and some mm-hmm. of that, which I agree a new face can have. You know, surely the players, though, have had some positivity. Like they spent most of the year under Jesse Marsh, who was like the most positive force in terms of building players up and motivating players. Like we've seen footage of that stuff before. Like, is that really what this team is missing right now? Or is, is it something else? I think I hear you. And I think the Jesse Marsh point is a good one. I think the Javi Gracia era is the one that deserves some attention because it's what him taking over in February, 12 games in charge. They only won three in the league, uh, only outside the relegation zone on goal difference, conceded 23 goals in a month. All of that says to me a downward trajectory. For sure. They are For sure. performing poorly, losing momentum, uh, locker room probably turning pretty negative. And so I think... It's not a great sign for Leeds, certainly in terms of their stability, but I think bringing in somebody who is not about preserving the legacy of coaching at at Leeds, like I don't think Allardyce even expects to get the job full-time, even if he keeps them Mm. up. I think he'll be mad if he doesn't and talk about it publicly. But I think there's something to be said for... Somebody coming in who's who's up until the West Brom relegation that Graham pointed out had been you know the the czar of not getting relegated and of finding a way to make make things happen. I think just a, a person coming in and saying like, "Don't worry about like all of these crazy tactics. We're playing this way. Believe in yourself." Like, I'm not saying that's necessarily what he's going to do. That was the vibe I got from his press conference. I just think a change of direction at a time when it felt like the only direction was down hmm. has to spark at least a little bit of. Of a turnaround. And I go back to Weston McKinney for a moment. When you sack a manager, we talk about how the new manager bounce is somewhat of a real thing because it's a it's a return to the mean, a regression to the mean. And a lot of it has to do with bringing back players who were sort of out of form, dissatisfied with the way training was going or the tactics or whatever it is. And to do that with four games remaining with an idea of if everybody gets on board, we can save this season, we can still stay up. I just think it's it's a breath of wine pinted air or something <laughs> um, that that uh, that might have an impact. I also just think having somebody come in who sort of projects a feeling of like, I got this. This is no big deal. I'm not bothered at all. Allardyce had a few comments about like, you know, I've got a lot of work ahead of me. It's going to be a difficult task. But even there, it felt like he, he was projecting supreme confidence. And that to me is the other thing that he is actively trying to do. If you come in and you're like, this, this is nothing. This isn't even pressure. Don't worry about it, fellas. We got this. That is going to have an impact versus if you have a manager who's desperately fighting for their job and survival and there's just that tension in the air. I can see how that could be a bad thing. And I can see how Allardyce just lightens things up a little bit, even if he himself isn't going to be light in the press conferences. Yeah, I I think that's all totally fair. I think then the question becomes, do you think that light energy is going to be enough for Leeds, right? And and you already said to that you don't know, right? Graham says no. I I would lean towards no as well. And and where I want to zoom out, because we talked about Allardyce, just to do one bit on Leeds, and I kind of looped him in with Chelsea earlier. Like, what are Leeds United doing? Like, like what? I I have no idea. They've gone from Marcelo Bielsa to Sam Allardyce. (laughs) Yep. In the, span of, in the span of like 14 months, they went from Bielsa to Jesse Marsh, which makes a, a bit more sense, but in possession is totally different. And they go out and spend, I, I guess I'm more critical on Brendan Aronson than most, but like you spend $30 million on Brendan Aronson and you try to replace Calvin Phillips and Rafinha with Aronson and, and Tyler Adams and, and players that I like in some respects, but I don't think are, are at that level. And I think it was a bit higher on Leeds' transfer window back in the summer so I don't I don't want to totally revise my opinions now but I'm willing to take the the wrong on that it's pretty clear that the transfer business wasn't enough they have no idea what they want to be as a club in terms of player recruitment or in terms of style and, and nothing shows that more clearly to go from Bielsa to Marsh from Marsh to Gracia from Gracia to out like there's no yeah. theme here they are they're walking around like a chicken with your head cut off which is something you do when you're faced with relegation but it doesn't seem like even if they stay up it doesn't seem like Leeds fans should be particularly optimistic that the club yeah. has a direction and can climb the Premier League table. It just doesn't. If, if you take a broad look at Leeds United right now, there's no way that you can look at what's happened this season and think you have done a good job. Like the, this, the Allardyce appointment is a failure from Leeds United. It is, it is a mark of failure from them. But in this specific instance at this in this at this moment in time they might as well because i thought they were doomed under yavi garcia anyway yeah. and they and, and they might still be doomed like sam aldice sam aldice i expect with that fixture list the way that that leads team is playing right now i expect they probably will be relegated but they might as well yeah. try and 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 
and do something. I mean, the plan is they're gambling on their own, their own luck, right? At this point, it's all variance. Allardyce is not going to do anything in terms of structure. It's a bet on the intangibles. A funny bet on the intangibles, and I can't wait for Very. the memes that are going to come out of this, but a bet sometimes pays out unexpectedly. And so that's where I have... I don't know if sympathy is the right term because I don't really have much sympathy for what, what Leeds United are doing in terms of their strategy right now. But as I say, the, the phrase I keep coming back to is might as well. Give it, give it a shot. Yeah. Roll the dice one last time. Which Man, is, this is, whole season has been a lot of might as well. Like I, I think across the board, you could explain that with a lot of different clubs. Uh, I, I want to be very clear. I agree with what you both are saying. This is not a good appointment for Leeds as a club. I think it's a good appointment for trying to stay up and trying to change the direction. But I think if they stay up this season, it's still a failure. It's yeah. the equivalent of like having only your king left in a chess game and then an earthquake comes and knocks over the board and then being like, <laughs> I won because I didn't lose. Like you, you didn't handle this well. As I said, they could have appointed Sam Allardyce when they sacked Jesse Marsh. So... It's not as though this has been the thing that they were planning on. They have now had to roll the dice yet again. It's where I think if Sam Allardyce keeps them up, I think he absolutely should just take that money and walk away because he is leaving them yeah. wanting more. He is leaving on a high note. And I have a feeling that if he sticks around, it's going to be a muddled transfer yeah. window. It's going to be confusion about the direction of the club and it's not going to go well. So I don't think Leeds, if they stay up, are in a good position. Don't get me wrong. But I think... I respect the idea of four games to go, bring in Big Sam and see what happens because it's, uh, at the very least, going to be fun. If uh, if Leeds United stay up, obviously we're still to see who comes through the championship playoffs, but I have them as my favourites to be relegated next season because we should note that they've also sacked Victor Orta, their sporting yeah. director, who was sacked a day before Allardyce was which hired. Feels, which feels right, probably, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, that feels, probably, that yeah. feels or- like maybe the right decision. Yeah, so Arta did a great job with the whole Bielsa project, but following on from that and evolving that, has it's been a, a bad job all round. But whoever is in charge of Leeds United, even if they're a Premier League club, that club has no direction. There's questions over the owners as well. Uh, I've seen some reports that they're open to selling the club. They've got no sporting director, and now Big Sam is their manager. <laughs> they're not in, a, not in great shape. <laughs> yeah, speaking of not great shape, uh, I have to pause for a moment to say that I did attribute a false quote criticizing Kieran Tierney to Joe Lowry, and I feel like he responded by going after Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams, two of my draftees <laughs> in our USMT 11. Joe, uh, just what Graham said to you, I will come through the screen, sir. I will come through the screen if you try to blame an injured Tyler Adams for the it way was, things have gone. It How was just Aronson. It was just Aronson that I was saying maybe wasn't the best signing, but maybe, I, at least that's how I feel. Maybe I misspoke, but I did you say said, Tyler Adams' you name. You said Tyler Adams is an overrated player who I've never rated. That was that, a quote yeah, from Joe Adams. That so is Joe, what I said. Joe Lowry. I Joe feel Adams like Brendan Aronson right there, one, might be one of the players that Big Sam likes, like a hard-running, like American player. Patrick yeah. Bamford, though. Patrick Bamford, screwed. A man who plays the violin. He is not going to be appreciated by Big Sam. <laughs> just oh, Big Sam dear. breaks it over his knee the first the first moment he's in the locker room. <laughs> yep. I hope the violin is in the oh. locker room. That's great. We, we should note, or I should note, uh, Big Sam in that press conference said he is targeting six points from these remaining four games, which would put them at 36. Right. That, that still doesn't seem... That's- that's like, probably not enough. That was nah. exactly the point I was about to make, Taylor. So yeah. Man City away, Newcastle at home. Realistically, Big Sam is saying zero points there. West Ham away, Spurs at home. That's maybe where he's getting the six from. Uh, but even then, last day of the season at Spurs, like, it's, there's a lot of variables that could go on here. 36 doesn't feel like the target you should be aiming for, despite it being realistic, I suppose. If we find ourselves in a scenario where on the final day of the season, it's Big Sam versus David Moyes for who gets relegated and who stays up, that's going to be awesome. Because West Ham, not that much further above uh, Leeds. I think there's seven points ahead of Leeds. I think a lot of it will come down, sorry, Leeds fans, to this weekend. If he is able to spark some sort of turnaround, some sort of belief, even if it is just a like close... Game that they end up losing, but you can see some fight, you can see some spirit there. I, I think that there's a chance if they get <laughs> blitzed four nil and and or even two nil and just never look like they're in the game, then that to me says it's business as it was, which is not good. And I so, think Leeds might be in some trouble. 
So that game is on at three o'clock, which would normally mean it's not on UK TV. But because of the the, the coronation, this yeah. being the coronation weekend, it's actually on for British TV. Sam? It's the first time. It's the, the first time I'm getting to that. The fir- <laughs> not for uh, well, it is his coronation yeah. in a sense. But it's uh, it's the first time it's ever happened that a Premier League game is going to be shown at three three o'clock, and it's yes. this match. And I like to think they're doing it for science, not for the uh, King's coronation, but to see how Pep versus Big Sam. We have to we have to uh, have visual evidence of this uh, spectacle uh it is decreed because you know royalty uh if leeds beat man city this weekend he will forever be known as king big sam to me that is what he will be now king big sam on coronation (laughs) weekend beating man city let's make it happen king sam let's get him a song very nice and as you said taylor he if they do stay up uh he is reported to be getting a bonus of more than three million pounds he gets half a mil uh even if they do not and a cake cake that says at least you tried Goodness me. Speaking you know what? Of- when Big Sam and I go on holiday after he keeps leads up and is voted manager of the season, you three aren't invited. All right? <laughs> oh, I'd love to see a little a little documentary of Taylor and Big Sam's holiday. Would you go fishing? And Richard and Keys on holiday. I'm going to put him on the list of people that as soon as I hung out with, I'd be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, I, I, I like Big Sam. At the same time, I'm not sure there's going to be a ton of overlap between the two of us. Wow. Time will tell. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk Leo Messi and his uh, naughtiness. And let's go to uh, the Liga, to Syria, and much more back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Leo Messi, suspended by Paris Saint-Germain after a two-day trip to Saudi Arabia. That's uh, leaving his Qatari-backed club to go to Saudi Arabia for a presumably sponsored uh, football so opportunity. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> like, Leo, you, you've got enough money, man. That's, uh, that's my first point here. But uh, a two-week suspension, Graham, for, for Leo Messi. Uh, L'Equipe reporting, and it seems to be uh, true that he won't have his contract renewed. He's going to be yeah. off this summer. If I'm Leo Messi, I'm like... Whatever, won the World Cup. Uh, Going to go to Saudi Arabia again. Correct. What <laughs> I think that has been him this season, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when we did the Big Thing episode fairly recently about Messi's future, we, we said that there were four options. I think we agreed on four options for him this summer, and staying at PSG was, was one of them. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen now. That's probably off the table. And... Maybe Inter Miami and Barcelona, if we're reading the the tea leaves here, potentially off the table as well. I think we maybe underestimated just how close the relationship is between Messi and and, and Saudi Arabia. There was a reported piece in The Athletic before the World Cup. I saw uh, Adam Crafton retweeting this out this week because it's relevant again. Um, It detailed how Messi is is very close to a man called Turkey Al-Sheikh 
who is one of Mohammed Bill Salman's closest advisors. And Messi has visited his home, and apparently they message each other regularly. So while I've read stuff saying PSG are using this as an opportunity to start a new footballing culture at the club and draw a line in the sand, I think it's an even bigger factor that Messi has put himself at the centre of a geopolitical tug of war. And it seems increasingly likely that he's going to be playing his football in Saudi Arabia for Al-Halal this summer. Yeah, Taylor, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain, right? Yeah, I'm a little mixed on this one because, like, we talked about this in that that "What Will Messi Do Next" episode, and I want to say I think we were much of the four clubs that we talked about. I think I had him going to PSG as the least likely, or staying at PSG rather. But we did have that conversation about like, is Inter Miami like? on the footballing side of things, really that different from going to Saudi Arabia when you're Lionel Messi. And I think quality of MLS is better. That's not really what I'm trying to litigate here, but more so that he's going to enter Miami where he's going to make a ton of money and play in Miami, but it's not going to be playing in the Champions League or anything like that, or he's going um, to excuse, Saudi Arabia. Excuse you, Taylor, not the <laughs> UEFA Champions League. Thank you very much. Have, have Inter Miami qualified for the CONCACAF Champions they League? They will with Messi by winning the Open Cup, Taylor. Come on. That will do it. This. There we go. <laughs> Lionel Messi has always wanted that US Open Cup. We all know that. I think so. It's, it's basically going to one place where he is going to be worshipped and celebrated or going to another place where he's going to be worshipped and celebrated, both of which are going to pay him a ton of money. I would obviously love to see him playing in Major League Soccer uh, and would prefer that one. But I, I, I do think that if, if you're him and you're looking around, PSG haven't really done him any favors. Barca didn't do him any favors when they more or less forced him out of the club. So I don't think he owes Barcelona anything. I think for narrative purposes, that's the one that has always made the most sense and probably allows him to die a hero or retire a hero instead of sort of moving to other places for more money. But I think you're right, Graham, that the... The willingness to go in the middle of a season, uh, collect a paycheck in Saudi Arabia, is interesting. I do think there's some chicanery when it comes to how PSG have handled this and how publicly they are saying, drawing a line in the sand and no player is bigger than the club, except for all the other times when we said players are definitely bigger than the club and can do whatever they want. Aside from yeah. those times, this time, though, this is the one. It feels No very player much is like bigger PSG. than the club. Where yeah. is Kylian Mbappe? Dunno. <laughs> exactly. How much do we pay Neymar to go applaud the fans after games? Oh, that much money? Yeah, no, it's never, it's never been about that. And, and by my understanding, it was that there was a bank holiday on Monday and PSG had been given, the squad had been given the day off on Tuesday. So it was going to be a three-day weekend essentially after the game. So Messi at that point has already rescheduled the trip twice and says, okay, I'm going to go for these three days. Then they play so bad they lose against L'Oreal this weekend. And Monday, instead of having the day off, they change to be a training day. Messi has already decided to go to Saudi Arabia at that point or is maybe already on the way depending on who is being quoted at whatever time. And so I think Messi and his camp say, we've already made these plans. We're already committed. We've already canceled it twice. I'm going. You all said I could. PSG say they didn't say they could and that there was never any official agreement. It feels to me like PSG changed things and expected him to basically do as they said. And when he didn't, not only was it a player sort of like flouting club rules, but I think it's worth noting it was a player leaving a Qatari-owned club to go collect a paycheck from Saudi Arabia. Those two clubs, two nations do not like each other. I think there is a little bit of, of ego involved in there, and I do think PSG are sort of making him the public scapegoat. Same thing with Neymar. I know that they've said, we didn't, you know, we don't sanction what the fans are doing, but you had fans calling, like, like uh, saying negative things, very aggressively negative things outside of the club headquarters, outside of Messi's home, I believe, and definitely Neymar's home as well. It seems like there is this idea of we're redefining the club we are. We're all about Kylian Mbappe. These two guys have been the problem. We had nothing to do with these guys, and so we should all be mad at, at Messi and Neymar and not at ourselves for the way things are. Yeah, I'm just a Seinfeld, that's a shame, popcorn gif right now. Correct. <laughs> this whole situation, frankly. That's a shame. <laughs> it is a shame. Yeah, and as you say, Taylor, fans chanting at Neymar to leave the club outside his home, of all places. I'm assuming he was in the he McDonald's. Wasn't there. Was like he definitely wasn't yeah. there. He was at a poker game somewhere. <laughs> he was <laughs> at his sister's matter. house. Yeah. <laughs> I think when reached for comment, he said, which house? Like, that, there's, there's, there's very little chance in my mind that he was there. I just... 
I just think it's 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 a bad look, certainly for PSG. I don't think it's a great look for Messi either. I, I think, again, Graham, I think you're correct that there is a much stronger, at the very least, financial connection between Messi and Saudi Arabia. And with him being an ambassador, maybe that is where he ends up. I still think there's a chance it's Barca. I still think there's a chance it's Inter-Miami. Uh, but at this point, it's all very murky and very confusing. Yeah. My money's on Saudi Arabia, frankly. That that relationship has been going quite a while. I remember going through Rome Airport, Fiumicino Airport, giant banners with uh, Messi celebrating Saudi Arabia throughout the World Cup, and they're still there, actually. So. And- I want to say one one last thing, and then I feel like I've talked a lot in this episode, so I'll try to tone that down. But uh, I want to add, because I feel like I'm already probably getting tweets from people who are like, Messi, like, MLS and Saudi Arabia are the same thing? What are you talking about? And I think what I'm talking about is that if you've already agreed to be a brand ambassador for the country of Saudi Arabia, you're telling me pretty clearly that you're not as concerned about sports washing and all of the nefarious deeds done by MBS. So to me, at that point, you're sort of removing a huge reason why you would not want to go play in Saudi Arabia, why you wouldn't want to be paid by the Saudi government. You're basically saying, no, I'm fine with it. Give me the check. And so I think when you remove the moral issue from the equation, it does just become about which place is he going to be able to make the most money and still be relatively in the spotlight. And I guess it seems like he's leaning Saudi Arabia over Barcelona and Inter Miami, which is an odd sentence to say out loud. Fun. Funnel round. Uh, let's go to uh, Spain. Barcelona is certainly going with within one game of winning the title, Graham, with a 1-0 win over Osasuna. Yeah, remember all that stuff I said on Monday about Barcelona looking like Barcelona again and looking very good when they have this exact lineup on the pitch? Yeah, well, that was not the case in this match. At all, uh, Xavi kept the same team that thumped Betis 4-0 at the weekend, which wasn't surprising, but the, the lethargy was back in their performance and, and uh, they actually played this match against 10 men as well, like the game against Betis. But unlike that match, they just couldn't break Osasuna down. Of, of course, Osasuna excuse me, have the Copa del Rey final this weekend uh, against Real Madrid. So you might have maybe expected them to be kind of half-hearted in this match or at least have their eye on, on, an, on another match this weekend but that wasn't the case. They did a really good job of frustrating Barcelona and in the end, the winner came from Jordi Alba five minutes from time. This Barcelona team are very confusing to me. They are capable of playing excellent football. They've obviously been the best team in La Liga this season, but when they're bad, they are pretty bad and also boring to watch, which is not something you would maybe associate with the Barcelona team. Oh dear. Joe, you catch this one? I didn't, but I just want to say, Graham, Graham's gone back and forth about Barcelona, and, and there have been a lot of back and forth performances from Barcelona this year. Just as a reminder, and I, I feel like it's really easy to fall into this trap for all of us, there are some natural fluctuations for teams, especially for teams with a lot of young players, for teams that want to play a very ball-oriented style like Barcelona. They check both of those boxes. Like There's going to be a lot of natural ups and downs throughout a season. And Barcelona have experienced a lot of that this year. They're still going to win the title. There's still a lot of work left for them to do to become something more than a La Liga title winner. And even to stay toe-to-toe with Jude Bellingham's Real Madrid next year. Yeah. But, I mean, a, a lot of this stuff, like, I think we shouldn't react too strongly to one way or the other about, oh, they're the sure. greatest team ever, oh, they're the worst team ever. This is just kind of how soccer works. Joe, yeah, I will remind you, right. Joe, that you did call them the best team in Europe, though, yeah. about three months ago. Yeah. So Yeah. <laughs> But I haven't said they're the worst team in Europe yet either. <laughs> so, so. Not true. Joe, I, they, I, I have a question for you about Barcelona for a moment. Uh, you said a thing yesterday that I wrote down because I found it so fascinating. You said uh, adding a number nine is more important than adding a manager, which, which I, I thought in the moment, as soon as you said that, I was like, I, that seems like a thing that I really want to disagree with. But also, given the dearth of world-class number nines and players who can score regularly, I've come around to it. Is having Robert Lewandowski in this Barcelona team like the thesis statement of that idea? Not intended as a shot at at Xavi, and he doesn't score in this game. But I do think about this Barcelona team and the sort of ups and downs they've had this campaign. And I wonder how much worse they would be if they had Eric Chupamotag. No disrespect intended, but you look at what Bayern have gone through. Like, I wonder if Robert Lewandowski is the thesis statement of having a world-class number nine in your team automatically elevates your performances, even if yeah. you are having a big swing of a season. It, it seems that way, right? And, and the the point I was trying to make yesterday, specifically within the context of the U.S., and I think international management is different. It's a different animal than the club game because you have straight Don't up less your qualifiers on, on the tactical <laughs> side, but you do have more influence on the player selection. And so if you can expand the player pool and, and get better players into the team, 
Like that for me, especially on the international level, feels like such a difference maker. And on the international level, you know, there's a larger imbalance of talent in some ways, at least like, like, you know, France have a lot of good strikers. Uh, I was going to say Spain. That's a bad example. England have a lot of good number nines, but you know, the U S Mexico, a lot of these sort of mid tier or smaller countries don't have that. So I think there's even more value in, in being able to identify and add a player of that stature to your team at the club level. I think managers are important. I think they're important no matter what, but yeah, I think players still have the biggest role to play. So if you can find an absolutely elite world-class player to add to your team, I would I would say that's got a pretty good chance of being more valuable than like the difference between Xavi and I don't know, Tuchel or something like that, right? Maybe Tuchel's a bit a bit of a better manager, but I'd ra- probably rather have Xavi and and uh, Lewandowski than Tuchel and and Chipomoting. Uh, Graham, as you mentioned, Osasuna facing Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey final this weekend. How did Real Madrid's prep go for this uh, this game? Not well, uh, but I'm not really sure how much to read into Real Madrid's performances and results in the league at the moment because there's nothing for them to play for. Well, well, I say that, but they actually need some results to secure second place because Atleti are, are now up to second place and, and are a pretty good bet to finish ahead of Real Madrid. I don't know how much Real Madrid actually care about finish se- finishing second over third, obviously still getting the Champions League that way. But they lost 2-0 to Real Sociedad um, this week. For La Real, though, this was a this was a huge result for them. Massive, important result. Um, they're they're a step closer to to finishing in that top four, securing that fourth place. And the last few seasons, they have fallen away in the second half of the of of the campaign. But this season, there's a bit more of an assertive assertiveness to them at the moment, and we saw that in this match. And Real Madrid pressed them, and they had plenty of the ball. But David Silva was excellent in this game, and he's just so good at playing through the press. And La Real had uh, had willing runners one of those players was was Taki Kubo who scored the first goal against his former club and initially decided not to celebrate then thought nah knee slide and it was a funny moment I enjoyed that okay let's head over to Italy uh, Lazio have made Napoli wait a little bit longer for their title their third title they've been celebrating for months anyway uh, with a 2-0 home win over Sassuolo Lazio back in second Napoli as we record on Thursday evening will be heading to Udinese where they can finally win it but hey maybe they'll just keep dragging this thing out for as long as it takes who knows uh, DFB Pokal we had uh, RB Leipzig with a 5-1 win over Freiburg on Tuesday Frankfurt with a two, a 3-2 win over Stuttgart uh, in the other semi-finals so Leipzig will be facing Frankfurt in the final in Berlin on the 3rd of June last but not least Mr Joseph Lowry let's turn our attention to the CONCACAF Champions League the future home of Lionel Messi surely uh, LAFC taking on Philly in the second leg of their semi-final. A 3-0 win for LAFC, 4-1 on aggregate. They will face Leon in the final. Yeah, this is a big win for LAFC. They were the dominant team at home in this match. It was 1-1 after the first leg. We talked about that last week. LAFC come in and take control of this game pretty much from the start. They created more chances. They created better chances. They have the better players. Like they were, they were just the team in this particular game. They get you know en- enough to get past Philadelphia and Lyon. Uh, sort of reverse the result to to get past Tigres in their second leg, which happened last night as we're recording on Thursday. So what that means is because Lyon won and not Tigres, that means LAFC will get the second leg of the final in LA, which is a big deal, right? Seattle got the same thing last year. They were able to host. They beat Pumas in uh, in Seattle, and it was a crazy scene. LAFC will have the same chance to win a domestic, excuse me, to win a a continental trophy on their turf in front of their fans. It's going to be a huge moment. That second leg, I believe, will be on June 4th. LAFC, after winning the Supporter Shield, after winning MLS Cup last year, now in the final, two games away from winning the CONCACAF Champions League, they're certainly in contention as the best team of all time in Major League Soccer. And, And the crazy thing is, if LAFC win CCL, which is not out of the realm of possibilities whatsoever, they're that good. If they win CCL they still have really good depth. Like, it's not elite depth, but they have good depth, and they've so far done a good job of balancing MLS play and CCL. I know Seattle did okay at that last year, and then they they tanked real hard, but I'm I'm fascinated to see if LAFC will be able to maintain momentum and, and compete for more trophies in the league this year because they seem like, to me, that they're that good. Why is the final two legs, Joe? That seems, how do I put it, dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly don't have a good answer to that. I think I, I haven't given it really much of any thought as well, but I think I prefer 
the single leg format, it feels much more climactic rather than splitting over two legs, but I don't really have a good answer for you. Okay, I guess because there's not one is the, uh, the conclusion there, Joe. All right, I think we have cheeky midweekied to a suitable level. Graham Rothman, thank you very much for your cheekiness in this one. <laughs> thank you, Rain Billy. Joe Lowry, pleasure as always, my good man. He's taking a drink. Can I keep talking until he's finished? I can. <laughs> right back at you, Ryan. <laughs> and Taylor Rockwell's mic has had a slight malfunction. So, Joe, can you do an impression of Taylor saying thank you and goodbye? Thank you uh, and goodbye. Say- oh, dang oh, it. Oh, he's back. <laughs> what an impression. <laughs> that was my best that work. That was amazing. Well played. Oh, he's back in the nick of time. Uh, just in time to say goodbye. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.